It's so nice to be here and to be able to share some thoughts with you. Uh, I'm a college teacher and we're accustomed to speaking for 50 minutes, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to speak about 15 minutes. I have, um, I really want to talk about three, what I would consider beautiful ideas in Christianity. And I'll do it primarily through images and story. Um, as a teacher of the world religions, I think about what do the various religions offer the world. And no religion is perfect. All religions have flaws. All religions are evolving. All religions can be improved. There is no need to pretend that the religion with which, with which you happen to be affiliated is perfect in every respect. But there is something to learn from them, and that includes Christianity. And so what I'd like to do is, is share at least three ideas from Christianity that I think are quite meaningful. The first one is actually in, in one of the readings for today from Hebrews. In that letter, you have an interesting idea. It's the idea that we experience God, that God, is, that God comes to us through fresh possibilities. Uh, if you think about Abraham and Sarah, they're comfortable in this city called Ur, and all of a sudden this mysterious power beckons them, calls them to go to a land they've never seen, to pack their bags and move on. And they sense that it is a promising land, but they really don't know it. And they let go, and they pack their bags, and they move on. So that's that God, in a way, arrives from the future into our lives as a future possibility. That's, that's what God is, the presence of promising possibilities, part of what God is. I'm reminded in that story also of my mother. She'll be 99 on August 26th. And she was born in Camden, Arkansas. And my mother uh, is one of my spiritual mentors. And she um, had a troubled childhood. It was, it was not a happy childhood. It was not a happy family. There was discord. There was tension. So she didn't exactly have a home that she could look to and say, this is perfect. She had a place that she needed some freedom from. And so I, I said, Mom, what did you do? And she said, I would go to the local schoolyard, and there was a swing set. And I would go to that swing set, and I would swing. And when the arch was high, and I felt somehow embraced by this wide open space that was free and joyous, I knew that life could be good. I knew that life could be good. And that feeling of exhilaration told me there can be something good about life. The letter from the Hebrews, Hebrews speaks of a homeland toward which we're called. I think sometimes that homeland is not a place, a land, a location. It's a feeling. It's a possibility. And we experience God through that possibility. Uh, my mother also tells me that one of the most exciting things she learned how to do when she learned how to swing was to pump. Now, you know if you have somebody pushing you on the swing, it's a great thing. But sometimes there's nobody there. So you need to learn that if you move your legs, you can get the swing going. And you can pump. 
and have that experience. And she didn't say it, but I certainly thought it. You've been pumping all your life. And that pumping is part of your spirituality. Because my mom is a very adaptive, creative person. She adjusts to new situations. She feels a possibility relative to the situation at hand and tries to listen for that possibility and redefine herself. Redefine herself. So I think part one kind of beautiful idea in Christianity is that we believe in a God who, among other things, is available to us through fresh possibilities for perpetual redefinition. You can redefine yourself when you're 16, when you're 26, when you're 36, when you're 66, when you're 86, when you're 96. And it's not always a place you want to be, but there is a possibility there for becoming who you can become in that circumstance. And it's quite beautiful. The second idea that I think is kind of beautiful in Christianity may sound um, not Christian to you at first, but I think I can it will in a second. Um, I need to tell a story. So in an ordinary class in world religions at Hendricks College, there's in my class there's 25 or 30 students, a smattering of perspectives, Christian, some Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, lots of spiritual but not religious, people that are alienated toward religion at all, all together, and I'm not sure why they're taking the class, but that's, that's what you've got. That's what you've got. One year I had a student from Malaysia, and her name was Florence Hung, H-N-G. And Florence was there, I think, uh, getting a master's, actually, uh, in accounting. And she just had this wonderful personality, and the whole class just kind of fell in love with her. Now, in these classes, sometimes students will share their perspective. Uh, Hi, uh, I'm a Christian. Hi, I'm a Buddhist. Hi, I'm a Hindu. Hi, I'm an agnostic. This, that, and the other. Florence said... uh, in my family, where I'm from, my uncle is Muslim, my mother Christian, my sister Buddhist. We're of Chinese descent, so we've got the kitchen god in our kitchen and also gods of good luck hanging around. And she said, you might call me a Confusionist. And everybody said, oh, no, no, you mean Confucian. No, she said, no, I mean confusion. You know, I, I'm not exactly sure what I am. I don't have this clear sense of self-identity. I haven't got it all figured out. But when she said Confucianism, you know, you could tell she loved it. She loved being in a, in a state of indecision, in a state where you don't have to pigeonhole yourself, where you don't have to, to lock yourself into a particular identity. It's great to be a Confucianist. I will bet there's some Confucianists among us at this very moment. Now, on the last day when Florence was leaving, uh, it, was, it was kind of uh, an emotional time. We didn't want her to go. She, was, she so engaged the class that pretty soon I became irrelevant. And she was gregarious, and so when we got to a religion, it didn't matter what it was, she had some thoughts about it. So, pretty, so, so this week we're on Judaism. Thank you, Dr. McDaniel. Yeah, say what you need to say, but Florence, what do you think? And so pretty soon I I just kind of sat back and let Florence kind of speak and it it created a kind of life to the class. Um, On the last day, she came and we knew she was going home and a student said to her, 
Florence, you make the whole richer. You know what that student meant. You have made the whole of this class so much richer, precisely in your uniqueness, precisely in your difference. And a student later reported to me, he was a, a conservative evangelical Christian. He said, you know what I thought when, when they said that? You make God richer too. Whatever God is, wherever God is, whoever God is, that reality is made more complete by the differences, by the variety, by the multiplicity. God would be less able to be God were there not these remarkable, beautiful differences. Now, you may think, well, Jay McDaniel, that's a great idea, or maybe that's a terrible idea, but you know, it's an interesting idea. But it sure doesn't sound Christian to me. I think Christians are in the business of we-they dichotomies. But you know something? It's St. Peter's Christianity. It's the kind of Christianity that we're trying to create right here. We're not there yet. There's so much diversity that's absent from us. But we're trying. And when we take Holy Communion, we don't ask questions. You bring yourself up there. You, in your absolute uniqueness. We're kind of glad about that. So I think St. Peter's style Christianity, and it's certainly my style, is a style that imagines God as a sacred whole. And everybody's part of it. And some people further imagine God in deeply personal terms. An Abba, an Amma, a Papa, a Mama, to whom you can pray. And when you pray, something's listening. And something cares. And that something loves every bit of it. Or some people think of God in a different way, can't go there. Sacred whole, the life of the universe, the consciousness of the universe, can't quite be that personal. But there's something that receives and embraces the differences without them asking them to be other than exactly what they are and are becoming. That's the second idea that I find beautiful in Christianity. I think that at least these kinds of Christians believe in an encompassing love, an inclusive love. And when that conservative evangelical student said, I think she makes God richer, he had an intuition of that. He had an intuition of that. Now the third idea that I think is kind of beautiful about Christianity is that in ordinary life, amid the joys and struggles, we somehow taste, experience, know, touch that love. And there's so many different ways in which that happens. An obvious way is in friendships, in companionship, in personal relations. But there are other ways too. Sometimes we taste the love in quietness. Sometimes we taste the love in the sheer beauty 
of the more than human world and animals and plants and hills and rivers and trees and stars and music. On the quietness, uh, this very sanctuary is a place where I have witnessed that with my oldest son, Jason McDaniel, when he must have been about six or seven. We used to come here for the healing services on Wednesday night. And we'd sit right about there where Kevin is. And Jason was so young and he had the foggiest idea what's going on, but, but he would color. He'd get out a sheet of paper and he'd kneel down and he would color. And then his dad would walk up and take communion and have the oil uh, anointed on his head. All of, that, all of that was immensely beautiful. One time I said, Jason, would you like to take communion sometime? Uh, he said, yes, I'd, I'd like to do that. So he came up and he actually took communion. And I, afterwards I said, Jason, what do you think? And he said, I like the bread, but I didn't like the beer. <laughs> I said, that's okay, I understand that. But then I asked him later, as we are riding back that night or some other night, I said, Jason... Why do you come with your dad? Why do you come with me? There are mostly older people there. What, what is it? And he said, you know, on those Wednesday nights, um, it's the only time when I can be quiet. Everywhere, everywhere else there's noise. At home, at school, with my friends. I need a time to be quiet. In those Wednesday nights, with that coloring, that's my quiet time. That's the uh, contemplative side of Christianity. That's the side that knows deep listening. That's the side that knows quietness. It's, all, it's not all about gregariousness. It's about privacy of the heart, too. And, uh, beautiful aloneness in its own way. Quietness. Solitude. Well, it... There's another way I think Christians touch God in addition to quiet times and friendships and the music and all that. And it's actually through suffering. And so I'm going to end with another story. One of my favorite writers is a woman named Joanna Macy. And she's a Presbyterian who became a Buddhist. And she did work in Sri Lanka, and she was drawn to the Buddhism she found there and deeply drawn to the traditions of mindfulness, deep listening that she found in Buddhism. And yes, uh, she became a Buddhist. She's what you call a socially engaged Buddhist, so she's very active in the world and social concerns. And she began to realize that many active people who want to make the world a better place burn out or grow deeply cynical because the world never quite conforms to their deepest hopes. And so there's the problem of burnout. There's a problem of cynicism. There's, there's the problem of seething rage. Seething rage. And so she began to lead paragraphs, uh, paragraphs, workshops called Despair and Empowering Workshops. But the first word was despair. And she loved them for social activists. And she would bring in the activists and say, let's quiet down a bit. 
And let's just talk about what we feel. And so it's a kind of a Buddhist thing. Let's just talk about the feelings. No judgment. Let's just feel. And pretty soon they would own some of that suffering, some of that woundedness, some of that anger. And then she'd make a kind of Buddhist point. She'd say, you know, of course it hurts. But you wouldn't feel that were you not so connected to everything. And your suffering is the flip side of interconnectedness. And that interconnectedness is not a bad thing. It just hurts sometimes. And when she, when she said that, these, these activists, all of a sudden they feel kind of, oh, I never thought of it that way. Maybe there is a kind of enlightenment in that. So I was interested in those workshops, and I was kind of interested in Joanna Macy's uh, pilgrimage. So I heard her speak at, a, at the American Academy of Religion meeting once, and the subject emerged of Christianity. And somebody raised his hand and said, we know that you were a Presbyterian and you converted to Buddhism. Um, what do you make of Christianity? Or something to that effect. And she said, no, you're not putting it rightly. I became a Buddhist, but I never quite left that Christianity. And there's still a lot that means something to me in that. And she said, for example, to this day, the image of a God who so loves the world that that God enters into the human experience and becomes nailed to a cross, to this day, I am moved by that. Even as I sit on the meditation cushion, I sit at the foot of the cross. And her point was that a certain kind of healing emerges only when we can own the humanity of our own experience, including the suffering, and including the suffering that we sometimes inflict on others. So I said that was the last story, one last story. This is really it. Any college teacher knows that you can have students who in some way have a hard time in life, a hard semester, they can really mess up. And a friend of mine had one recently, and this particular student um, not only was having a tough time, but backbiting with the whole department, you know, going around to fellow students and saying, you know, this is really a lousy department, or this is really, those are really lousy people, this, that, and the other, that kind of thing. And um, I think another student said to her, you know, people don't want to be around you so much anymore because all you do is knock people. And it, it dawned on her, she really hadn't been her her better self that semester. So she went to a, my colleague's office for the final meeting of, the, of that semester and she knocked on the door and what you were really supposed to do was to look at the record, how are you doing in your courses, you know, do the check marks, check the boxes. But she knocked on the door, opened the door and she said to my colleague, she said, before we say anything, I just want to say I am so 
sorry. The person that, that I was this semester is not the person that, that I am or that I want to be. But I'm just sorry. And she then started crying and the, other, the professor went and, you know, hugged her or whatever and, and that was over. But see, that moment of apology, that moment of acknowledging that, then became the opening for taking a new step. And only after that acknowledgement could a new step be taken, which reminds me again of the pumping. Sometimes the only way we can pump, sometimes, is to, is to be honest about the harm inflicted on others and ourselves. And I think that's not a bad idea, too. That's a kind of grace as well. My mom is a Trinitarian, much more so than I. When she prays, she prays to the Father sometimes. It's a familial relationship. They have a good relationship. Sometimes they get a little tired of each other, she reports. Uh, but it's still, still there. She'll occasionally pray to, pray to Jesus, the Son. Uh, she says, I like Jesus. Uh, I want to walk with him. I want to walk in love as he walked in love. But often she will pray to the Holy Spirit. And when she prays to the Holy Spirit, I said, what's that like, Mom? And she says, well, I, I, it's, a, it's an encirclement. So I'll think of somebody I care about, and I'll say, Holy Spirit, please encircle them. It, it really is the image of the circle. And then she'll say to me, and Jay, you know, of all those three, the Holy Spirit's my favorite. And it's almost as if she's got a little trinity, but one's, one's the best. And that's the Holy Spirit. So I know you're supposed to end sermons with in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But if you'll permit me, I'd like to reverse the order. So uh, in the name of that encircling spirit who embraces us all and sometimes gives us the courage to keep going, in the name of that spirit and in the name of that young man who consciously or unconsciously revealed the deep tenderness of God and showed us that this God is not so far away actually but in the interstices of life and in the name of that great mystery 